0: We're talking in these weeks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about the, the, who the Holy Spirit is, what Jesus has done, the promise of the Father, what he has done to come to give the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, rivers of living water. We talked about the gift of tongues and the importance of surrendering our tongue, that it isn't a small matter, that we need to give all of us to Jesus, including maybe especially our tongue. If your tongue is like my tongue, that's where the, the sin really <laughs> resides in all the cruel, mean, nasty things that get said by that tongue. And it needs to get surrendered to the Lord. So we talk about how to help someone else, how to minister to someone. That When we lead somebody to Christ, to not simply allow them to have their sins forgiven and a new heart placed in their, in their, in their chest, as it were, which loves the Lord and wants to please him, but to leave them without the power that God has made possible through Christ to put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk in victory. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is given to us so above all, yes, for ministry, but above all so you and I can walk in the power of God and the holiness of God. Aren't you glad? What what good news it is, not that I'm forgiven. Please don't tell me that you just forgive me. Don't, don't say, Steve, you know, you're going to keep sinning. You're going to keep offending people, hurting people, ruining things, uh, putting your foot right in the middle of the mess. Uh, but we'll forgive you, and you'll go to heaven. Great. In other words, I've got pretty much of a, of, of a life of hell until I can finally die and go to heaven. Don't tell me that. I don't want to be just forgiven. I want to be changed. I want to live my new life. I want to become the person I'm called to be. I want to, I want to step into uh, purpose. and I want to be full of the Spirit. I want to see God do stuff. Don't just tell me I'm forgiven for heaven's sakes. That's a, that's, that's, I guess it's good news, but it's only about half the news. Jesus came to not only forgive us, he came to fill us with the Holy Spirit and set us free so that we get to be who we're called to be. We get to see our lives lived out in in the power of God. Isn't that wonderful? That's the news. So we talked about receiving this, but today we said we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit. How do we walk in the victory and the power that Jesus Christ has made possible? How do we allow the Holy Spirit within us to rise up and be strong in us so that we can put to death the deeds of the flesh? How do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about. I'm starting at verse 16 in Galatians chapter five. Uh, Paul is, Paul, th- this is, uh, I'll say it later again, but this is the first letter Paul wrote as far as we have recorded in the New Testament. And he wrote it very early in his ministry. And he, he wrote it to a group of churches there in what is now central Turkey, uh, Galatia. They are being uh, taught by teachers who came in after him that they need to observe the Jewish law. They need to keep Sabbath. In particular, they need to be circumcised, the men do, and uh, they, they have to do all of that. And, and Paul points out that the reason they're, they're pressing all of these Christians to do that is because it is very bad uh, politics for the Jewish believers in Jerusalem uh, to have the word out that there are Jews in other cities and other places who are fellowshipping with Gentiles. It is just not okay. And it gets the Jews in Israel persecuted. So they've sent teachers out to these places saying, you've got to keep Sabbath. You've got you to not cut the corners of your beard. You can't have milk and meat. You can't, you know, the whole nine yards. You've got, you've got to do all of these things. And yes, men, you have to be circumcised. And Paul, uh, Paul is, is really going at it in this letter, saying, if you turn back to the law and begin to hope and observe those things, you've lost Christ. He says this, you've fallen from grace. Now, you, you can parse that any way you want. <laughs> what I hear is, you can either have Jesus Christ by faith or you can have the law, but you can't have both. So he's real strong on that. And then, he's, and then he says here, He says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. I'm in chapter five, verse one. And he will start, first of all, and say we've been freed from the law. And then at about verse 13, he'll say, yeah, we've been freed from the law, but that doesn't mean we become lawless. We now have a new way of living that causes us to become holy. See, God does care about holiness. Grace doesn't mean he doesn't care how you and I live. It's simply a new way of doing it. So he will say here, you are called to freedom, brother, and only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for flesh. But through love, serve one another. And then verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Would you say that with me out loud? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. I'll carry on. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law of God. Let's say that out loud. If you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these of which I forewarn you. Now listen to this. This is not the only place he says this. There's a number of places he makes this exact same statement. He says, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that scares people, and so people try to, to, to change the meaning of that. What he says is, if you practice those things, in other words, if they are part of your life on a regular basis, you will not go to heaven. That's what that means. But the fruit of the Spirit, and notice he's talking to Christians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's say that. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Then he summarizes, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let's say that. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. By sending the Holy Spirit to dwell inside us, Jesus Jesus made it possible for every believer to walk in the Spirit. That means it is now possible for each one of us to be led by God daily and even situation by situation and to be empowered to do the things he leads us to do. Why is that important? It is absolutely vitally important Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And he says, you're going to do what I've been doing. And how did he function? He responded constantly to the leading of of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus made it possible for you and I to do the same. That's why he said, it's good for me to go to the Father because the Spirit will be sent and now you will carry on my ministry. Paul summarized our new potential this way. For God is the one who is working in you, both to will, and the word there means to desire, and to work, it means to have the power to accomplish for his good pleasure, those things which please him. For God is the one who's working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul explains that the Holy Spirit will not only show us what God desires, he will teach us to desire the same things. And then along with the desire, he will give us the supernatural strength, wisdom, and spiritual gifts necessary to accomplish everything he has placed in our heart. Whether that that be the transformation of our character or great acts of service. Say will and work. You see that beautiful passage out of Philippians? He, he says, God is at work in you both to will, I'm going to go King James, will and to do for his good pleasure. He'll put the desire in me and he'll empower me to accomplish what he's put in my heart and yours. Jesus has made this new walk possible, but not inevitable. Because every believer still has the freedom to choose. God doesn't take away our will and enslave us so that we'll do the right thing. He's training us as his children. And it's important to him that we learn to exercise that will wisely. He wants us to learn to think as he thinks, to love as he loves, to understand why certain things are evil, And to come to the place where we genuinely desire that which is right. Not just do what is right. Because we're told to. Does that make sense to you? There's people who say, well, God's totally in control. He's controlling everything. (laughs) I don't know what Bible they read. I mean, honestly, you can pick out a few little verses and twist them. But other than that, you're on your own. If you look at the Bible that I read, you'll find... It's full of people who disobey God left and right. In fact, you get all excited when someone actually obeys him. Those are the big stories that you tell about because somebody actually did what they were told. So the idea that there is somehow God is up there micromanaging everything and controlling everything is ridiculous. He's raising children, not slaves. Do you follow this? Now, when you raise a child, do you really want to raise a child that, only, that, that doesn't think for itself, only does what it's told? Would that be good? It's not good at all. It's sick. Isn't it? And it is in far, as far as our Heavenly Father's concerned. He's training us to think like he does. He wants children. He wants you to love what he loves, hate what he hates, think like he thinks. He wants you to see the big picture and understand why you're doing what you're doing. You are going to rule and reign with Christ forever. And it's a, who you're, you're he's, he's nurturing you, not just controlling you. Actually, it is only after a person undergoes God's inner transformation that he or she becomes free to disobey God, to obey or disobey. Before that, every human being is held in bondage to a rebellious human spirit inherited from Adam and Eve and overwhelmed by the impulses of our flesh. You could argue that the only time you're finally free to disobey is once you become a Christian. Before that, you're really pretty much controlled by all the appetites and the pressures and the rebellion inside you. You know, you're just, th- think of your, I was thinking of my childhood, and I don't want to go very far into that, but boy, before I met the Lord, some of the stupid things I did. did can anyone relate? Did you, did you do stupid things too? It's like, what was I thinking? Now, I know, you, you know, your children are children, but Man. Some of the things, I and it never occurred to me this was particularly wrong. I didn't, I just didn't have, I mean, I just sort of followed whatever was pulling me along. I wasn't trying to be bad, just was. Why, I I get that from Adam and Eve. I come into this world like you do, with a rebellious spirit, with a spirit that just, it's separated from God, and so I'm on my own, thinking my own thoughts, trying to do what's right in my own eyes, and boy, did that get me in some trouble. I am so grateful the Lord intercepted me before I, I, I blew it all. <laughs> A believer's battle. Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia appears to be the first letter he wrote. It At least it's the earliest one we have preserved in the New Testament. It was written after his first missionary journey in A.D. 49. Why that is significant to this study is this. What Paul taught the Galatians in A.D. 49 is what he was still teaching the churches in Rome eight or nine years later. Here in chapter five of Galatians, in a condensed form, he describes the same battle between the flesh and the spirit that he later described in a much more detailed way in chapters seven and eight of Romans. In both letters, he pictures a believer helplessly trapped between two powerful forces, the flesh and the spirit frustrated because he or she wants to do the right thing but is unable to do it. And the solution he proposes in both letters is the same as well. In order to do what their new heart wants to do, that person must be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's listen to what he said to the Galatians and then what he said to the Romans. We'll start with his description of the problem and then hear the solution. Here's Galatians 5. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition, and the word means to be put in position to fight against or to withstand as an adversary to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. Have you read that thing before? Have you read that before? Yes. Good. 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 That was a thing we had. Ever ever kind of like like what's that? the flesh and the spirit are at war, so that you can't do what you want to do. Here's, here's how he said it when he spoke to the Romans. I wrote it to the Romans about eight or nine years later. Listen, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body. Would you say members of my body? What, what does he mean by members of my body? What's he talking about? His flesh, his flesh the, is the stuff of his physical body. He actually locates the problem in this case in the stuff that he's made out of, the meat, the all of this of our bodies. He says, I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. This, this rebellious body of ours isn't redeemed yet. It will be. When will it be redeemed? The resurrection. Yeah, we get a, at the resurrection, we will get a spiritual body, which doesn't mean you can see through it. What it means is it will be spiritually yielded. It will, it will obey the spirit. Won't that be nice? I mean, can you imagine life without all of those, those those impulses and the surges of fear and of anger and of lust and of all of that garbage going through you? Can you imagine? It's called heaven. <laughs> yeah. You still have a body, but the thing isn't fighting you anymore. So he says, uh, the law of sin, which is in my members, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the it says, body of this death, this, this body full of death. And he's talking about the stuff we live in. So your spirit now loves the Lord. Your spirit wants to do the right thing. And you're trapped, as it were, inside a body that still has a rebellious uh, mind of its own. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> Have you experienced that dynamic? Yeah, It it describes the situation quite well. He did it in Galatia. He said that, and then he said the same thing there. The solution Paul proposes to both the Galatians and the Romans is also the same. Listen, but I say walk by the spirit and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. Couldn't be clearer. Here's how he said it to the Romans. For what the law of Moses could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. In other words, the law of Moses could not control our human flesh. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice, he took on our sinful flesh. He didn't sin, but he had the same temptations and all a body like ours. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to, following after the lead of or under its control of the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the freedom we have, the new reality we have, caught between what the Holy Spirit wants and what my body wants to do, is that I now, my human spirit, can choose to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit and turn away from the power of the flesh. This is absolutely the key to victory. Understanding this is how you and I can walk in our freedom. And in both letters, Paul emphasizes the importance of being led by the Spirit. Here's how he says it to the Galatians But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. To the Romans, for all who are Led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So how, how significant, how central is being led by the Spirit? Boy, that's what defines the sons and daughters of God. Understanding and accepting the realities that Paul describes in these passages is absolutely foundational. If you and I are going to live the victorious life God intends for us, we must know that our flesh is not yet redeemed Paul says there in Romans 8, 23, he says, he says we all, uh, what is it? He says, uh, even we who have been, the first fruits of the spirit groan within ourselves along with creation, we're groaning. He says, waiting for our, ado- for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are groaning right now. And he talks, we who are full of the Holy Spirit are right now along with this creation which is cursed and waiting for for the lord to return it groans and so do we waiting for our adoption for the time when we step into the full glory of our of our of our sonship men and women waiting for that beautiful moment when we put on our he says the redemption of our bodies we're caught so he says in hope we've been saved You and I are waiting for that great hope. Paul was a realist, wasn't he? I mean, he's very realistic, very accurate about what life is. He doesn't play games. He points right at our issues and talks about real solutions. We must know that our flesh is not yet redeemed and is still trying to influence us. We must know that the Holy Spirit, in all his power, he gives the Holy Spirit without measure has come to live inside us. And we must know that our human spirit has a choice it must make time and again about which one it will allow to lead it. I learned this lesson that my spirit could take control over my flesh. I learned it in high school. Uh, My mother, as you've heard before, took me to various churches and of boy some of the wildest things and we went to one church this was in southern california she she found this one it was in glendale california and uh it was actually one of the churches that began the first thing with christian television (laughs) i was i was there when uh, um paul and jan crouch were young and running around and uh Working for this church, and Jim and Tammy Baker <laughs> were the were the children's pastor. Now she was way better than he. Uh, Tammy was the one that really had some pizzazz, and she was a good children's minister. I'm going to tell you, I think they missed their call. Anyhow, uh, they just they they were excellent at what they did. But anyway, this 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 was a Pentecostal church, and my mother would I I had to go and. Uh, I, I loved the Lord, but I wouldn't have gone to church nearly as much if it weren't for her. Um, but she dragged me to this thing, and I remember this, uh, being in the middle of this aud- audience here, and uh, I, I didn't want to be there that day, and I had, a, I had a nylon jacket, and I had zipped it all the way to the top, which is kind of my way of saying, leave me alone. Um, I did the same thing in college. I'd zip it up in, in chemistry class and, and just sit there and stare. All right, so I'm just there with my hands in my pockets and, 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 and the pastor says, now, come on, everybody. Praise the Lord. You know, and they start praising around me and I'm, I'm, I don't feel well today. I'm not happy today. This is a bad day. And they're all praising the Lord and he says, put your hands up. Come on, everybody, put your hands up. And so people putting my hand, their hands up, well, oh, I'm just I'm just standing there with my hands in my jacket. That guy used to help me, looked right through the crowd, made eye contact with me, and looked straight at me, and said, I said put your hands up. And it was just about like that. So I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm I might as well have had a gun on me. And and I got my hands up and he said, Praise the Lord. Looks right at me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yea, God. I, and, I, and, I, I, and he said he didn't take his eyes off. He kept looking at me. So praise the Lord. I give you glory, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God, Jesus. And I'm thinking, I can't get out of here, can I? Thank you, Lord. I'm stuck. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's what caught me. I did that for all, you know, several minutes because he kept looking at me. And the funniest thing happened. I, st- I started feeling better. <laughs> and I could tell it. I mean, I knew, the, I knew the spirit. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there being forced by this grumpy pastor to praise God. And I'm just saying it because he's making me. And God didn't seem to notice, and the Spirit of the Lord came over me. And I remember thinking to myself, What are you doing? He's forcing me to do this. You know? I mean, it doesn't mean I don't love you, but I mean, and I learned something right there. My Spirit, if I will simply begin to praise Him, the Lord comes, and I can put the flesh into submission. I'm going to tell you, I went home feeling great. Amen. I had a real refreshing time. The Lord was there. But I learned something. You, can, you, you don't have to wait till you feel spiritual. You don't have to wait till you want to. This is an important distinction. Some people think, well, wait a minute. Isn't that... Isn't that uh, dishonest in a sense isn't it intellectually dishonest to to praise God when you don't feel like it I would say no that's the mark of maturity intellectual dishonesty is when you say something you don't believe I didn't say anything I didn't believe I just didn't want to say it I was crabby overruling your emotions is the key to maturity Learning that you don't let your emotions control you, but you press through into the presence of God is absolutely the key to how you learn to walk in the Spirit. One of the things we do with with worship here is you'll notice we often start out with fast, faith-filled, joyful testimony songs, if we can find them anymore. Um, eh, and you often you come in and you you think, oh, oh no, hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, yay! You got the new wine in my soul, and and you, and I know you feel like that because I do too. I also know if I keep, if I can keep you at it long enough, you're going to feel good. And then you know what I mean? It, not just feelings, your spirit's going to rise up. You're gonna feel the joy. Of the, you know, it, it's funny if I can just get it out of our mouths. If we can just begin to say what we know we believe and praise Him, His presence comes, and we get. And there's a moment when you can feel it when there's that change that comes. Can you feel? You know what happens? I, I actually think it's pretty much congregation-wide when it happens. I don't think it's just individual by individual. It's almost like the presence of the Lord comes over us, and then we all go whoa and it's a different day. I've survived on that for 40 years or more. The choice. Every believer can choose to listen to the thoughts being generated by our physical bodies and the enemy or the thoughts being generated by the Holy Spirit. Paul describes the process this way. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now that, let me stop a second. That set their minds is a translation of a, of a, of a word, it's freneo. It's, it's and it means to think, but to think with a certain particular mind. The, the Greeks, of course, with all of their logic and all of theirs have lots of words for think. Um, but they, this word freneo, which is being used here, Paul says, he says, those who are kata, Uh, Sarks or whatever, according to the flesh or according to the katanuma, according to the spirit, he said they, freneo, They they set their, and this is the mind that he's talking about. The freneo is to think with the heart. The word, the friend, the word friend, the root of it, actually means your diaphragm. Now, they got, they got logizumai for, for logic. They got, they got uh, new, oh, for, I mean, for, for your for thinking with your brains. They got all those words, but he didn't use that. He said, those who follow after the lead of the flesh set their heart, the mind of their heart. They look at it and long for it. You see that? they set, they, phreno, they set their heart, mind. On it. Those who are following after the lead of the Holy Spirit, who are being led by the Spirit, they set their heart, their passion, their interest, their longing, and their attention on the things of of the Spirit. They listen to Him. For the mind of the flesh is, and yours may say, the mind set on the flesh. It does not say that at all. They simply, for some reason, want to translate it that way. It says, the mind of the flesh is death but the mind of the spirit is life and peace he's literally talking about two minds he's saying you and i have within ourselves two voices two sources that i can either listen to this mind or i can listen to this mind and where i put my heart and my attention that's that mind is the one that will inform me So when I, when I put, he says, my mind on the, on the, and listen to the voice of the flesh, he says, it's death. He says, but when I listen to the voice of the spirit, it brings life and peace. And you would think that it would be simple to choose between the two. And it would be, except for this fact, the voice of the flesh is persistent And must be resisted. But the voice of the spirit is gentle and must be deliberately pursued. Even if we don't yield to the flesh, its voice keeps tempting us in one way or another. And if we do yield, its voice grows much louder immediately. You may have dealt with some addiction you have and you think, Oh, well, if I just take this one more drink or shot or puff or whatever you're doing is uh, I just one won't hurt man that addictions back full swing in a breath isn't it how do I know that I don't know it just it, it the flesh it just lurks there and you can keep it at bay, but that sucker doesn't die. I, I mean, that'll die someday when in the resurrection, there, or you know, our natural death—it it has it coming. But it doesn't stop; it has to be resisted. Whereas the spirit has to be pursued, and and it's so there's there's an effort to this whole thing. It it seems to lurk beneath the surface of our thoughts waiting for us to become tired, lonely, hungry, angry, or afraid. Do you recognize that list? Yet generally, a person must choose to resist the flesh and take the steps necessary to awaken their consciousness of the Holy Spirit and press through whatever barriers the flesh may place in their way in order to hear his voice and receive his strength. I think this is one of the keys to this whole thing. It is hard work to walk in the spirit in that you are wrestling with your, own, with your flesh on a regular basis. It is far easier to yield to the flesh. It's there all the time. The Lord is free to speak to his people whenever he chooses and thankfully he will at times encounter us when we have done nothing to seek him. But normally a believer must build disciplines into their life if they are regularly to walk in the spirit. They must find ways on a daily and even moment by moment basis to silence the flesh and press into the spirit. And the person who does this bears what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, when you or I am in the Spirit, you're like that. When you're in the Spirit, you're a very nice person. When you're in the flesh... You're still the old you. Have you noticed that? And that's 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 not that's not f- phoniness. It's just the situation. The person who refuses and thereby reverts to being led by their flesh is the person who will consistently fall back into the deeds of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, particularly using drugs in that case, pharmakia is the word, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, sounds like a bad uh, Thanksgiving dinner with a family, doesn't it? (laughs) Paul is speaking to Christians. Did you follow that? Next time somebody messes around with that in Romans 7 and 8, no, no, those are either exact same subjects. And he's clearly talking to Christians. So walking in the spirit requires, one, a humble self-awareness that my flesh is still present and must be consistently resisted if I'm to avoid the deeds of the flesh. Two, the decision to daily and even situation by situation crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. It means die to it. Three, the confidence that the Holy Spirit dwells in me so I can access his guidance and strength any time I need him. And four, the wisdom to build patterns into my life which will allow me to become freshly aware of his presence and hear his voice. Timeless disciplines. Simply put, walking in the Spirit is regularly, deliberately returning to the condition of being conscious of the Holy Spirit's presence and then receiving his strength and hearing his voice. And the methods for doing that are not new. In fact, they are timeless. But what is new is that the Holy Spirit himself Helps us to do them. Did you follow that? I'm going to. You say, "How do you get in the Spirit?" I'll give you three ways, but you're going to go. Wait a minute. There's nothing new to that. Worship, prayer, and the Word. There's nothing new there. What's new is that the Spirit Himself helps us do each one of those. He helps us worship the Father and the Son. I give you a whole list of, of various scriptures. That Ephesians five eighteen, I love that. Paul says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. Well, first of all, he says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Say spiritual songs. What do you think he means by spiritual songs? Singing in tongues. That's what he to. So he, say, he says, don't get drunk when you're depressed. Don't, don't, don't feed the flesh for heaven's sakes. When you need help, when you need a lift, when you need strength, when you're overwhelmed, worship. And he says, and notice he doesn't say do it alone. Huh? He says, well, we should do this with each other. He says, we should speak to each other. We should we, we gather and, and with psalms and hymns and singing in the spirit, singing. And, and then he goes on and says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. When you're down, worship. Worship till you're strong. Secondly, he helps us pray. That Romans 8.26 Paul says, uh, just having talked, I mean, he's right in the middle of this whole conversation about how to, how to walk in the spirit. And he says, for we know not how to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And it certainly includes, if it doesn't mean specifically speaking in tongues. And then he reveals the word to us, that Verse uh, that I, I give you a number of verses on each one of those, but first john two twenty seven John says this he says, As for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and is ju- and just as it is taught you, abide in him.' John's talking to people who are trying to say that Jesus is not the divine son of God. That's what he's dealing with. He says, he says there are those who say, well, there's the father, but Jesus isn't the divine son. And he says, if you, don't have Jesus, if you don't have both the father and the son, you don't have either one. That's what John goes on to say. And these teachers were teaching this. And he says, you don't need that. He says, the Holy Spirit within you will bear witness to the truth. And he'll always lead you to Jesus and he'll show you the truth about him. And didn't Jesus say he would? He says he's the spirit of truth. These three disciplines, worship, prayer, and meditating on scripture have always been the means by which the men and women of God have drawn close to him. The baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't replace these disciplines. It empowers us to do them at a new level. Now, we can worship assisted by the Spirit, and in the midst of that, worship receives spiritual gifts, which inspire, heal, or guide us. We can pray at a new level, with a new accuracy. When our words fail us, we can let Him guide our tongue and ask for the things God wants us to ask for. And when we open the Bible, we are not left to our own speculations to discover its meaning. The Spirit becomes our teacher and will explain its truth to us and speak to us from its pages. That's clearly as if we were having a conversation with someone in the room. One of the clear evidences a pers- when a person's baptized in the Spirit is they love the Bible. Somebody just said it recently. He said, I got saved and over the next two years I read the Bible four times. You just, why, why would you do a thing like that? You're not because you want to know what this wonderful God of yours thinks about stuff, you read it because you care. It's, you don't have to. You've done it because there's a passion in you, and the word suddenly makes sense to you. You open it up and you go, oh my goodness, this is full of life, because you now have the spirit revealing him, revealing it to you. A personal reflection. It occurs to me that it might be helpful if I shared some disciplines that I that have become a regular part Of my own life. I don't consider these to be the only way or even the best way, but for me, they have proven the test of time. I've done them for decades because they work. I do them not because I ought to, but because I need to. Yet, having said that, I am sure there are new levels of relationship the Lord will teach me, and I I will follow Him there as I can. For now, my life includes a daily time of drawing near to the Lord in the morning. And before I do any ministry. My goal is not to put in a certain amount of time. But to stay there. Until I become conscious of his presence. And have heard him say something to me. Either directly. Or through the scriptures. How long do you need to be in your time in the morning? How long does it take? I I do realize we all have limited amounts of time. But there's a purpose to this. I need to draw into the Spirit. I need to wake up. Do you wake up full of the full of the Holy Spirit now? Some of you are morning people, and it is amazing. I marvel at it. I'm married to one. You know, good morning. Like, Phew, what? Good morning. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I just. My. It takes me a while to just get everything going here. And. And I generally start out the day fully aware of how bad things are. <laughs> D- do you have any of that? I mean, that maybe, yeah. I have to work on it. Now, imagine carrying that attitude into the day. I don't have to imagine it. I've done it many times. And oh boy, does, uh, does it make trouble to carry that grumpy, sad, frustrated, worried, whatever that is, carry it right into the day? Oh, ho. I just hurt one person after another. I have learned, let's do this in the morning before you do any damage. So I I know you could have your devotions at night, you could have them at noon, but I have to get there, I have to get to it before I do damage. Number two, there, I normally start by reading the Bible and will continue reading and meditating until, quote, my heart gets happy. I got that quote from George Mueller. Uh, he he said, I used to try to pray and then it took me like 45 minutes, you know, to just drag him through. And he says, I learned this. He said, I start by now by reading the Bible till my heart gets happy and then I pray. Just that simple phrase just made sense to me and I've been doing it ever since. Then I write down what I heard the Lord say to me through his word. That's where OSL is such a blessing, teaches us how to get in the word, how to, how to how to do soap, how to how to have that time with him. I, I still do some of the OSL things. Next, following the counsel of Philippians 4, 6, to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I unload my worries and wounds on him until the peace of God which passes all comprehension guards my heart and mind. Some days I have more than others. By the way, I do mention... Long lists of people in prayer. But I do that on another occasion during the day. Did you notice what I just did? If you get into your prayer life and all it is is long lists, it'll, it'll get old real fast. I, you, we need to pray lists. We need to have our lists of family members and church members and just all the things that we hold before the Lord. That, it, but it's a labor and it needs to be done. I do it another time during the day. Mary and I do it together actually. I nearly always pray in tongues for a while. And I also pray through the Lord's Prayer, item by item, making sure that I stay conscious of the Father and mean what I say. I confess my sins throughout the day as soon as I realize I've done them, and often take the bread and cup of communion during our worship services. I also give him my sickness and my sorrow at the same time. Keep real short accounts with God. It would be a mistake not to mention fasting. It helps me break the grip of the f- flesh when it becomes strong. I don't fast more than a meal or two at a time, but I always combine it with prayer and meditation. For some reason, it breaks down the barriers and empowers me to pray. I can't explain to you all the dynamics. It just helps. It really does. I keep doing I do it because it works. Finally, I should mention how important it is for me to worship with a gathered church. I seem to be able to press into the spirit more easily when I'm in the midst of my spiritual family. At some point, my emotions change, my world turns right side up, and I find the strength to joyfully face the future. May the Lord guide each of us so that we learn how to walk in the spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh. Becoming born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, opens for us new potential. It does not automatically make us a nicer person. If I neglect my spirit and allow my flesh to rule, I can be as nasty and selfish unkind and and foolish in my decisions as I ever was. Now, in all reality, no matter what kinds of theologies we've been taught, wouldn't you say that accurately represents what you've observed of Christians over your lifetime? You'll see people who are so lovely in the way they function, their attitudes. You'll also notice that if you get to know those people, they keep a regular discipline of time with the Lord. Do they not? They have learned exactly the lesson we've talked about. They've chosen to walk in the Spirit, not simply be a Christian. If I, neg- if I, if I however, choose to walk in the Spirit, choose to press in, recognizing, becoming self-aware... Where am I? Am I close to him? Am I near him? Am I walking with his presence? Am I confident of him? Or am I back into my flesh? Becoming aware of that. If I will walk in the spirit, then all of those beautiful things the New Testament talks about are becoming, what, full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Those are true. They're true of me. They're true of you. What a nice person you are full of the lord what a nice person you are when you're walking in the spirit what a, what a what a powerful influence you are you see we think of our, we often think there are really nice people and really not so nice people honestly i think they are people and i think every one of us can walk in the spirit and have those qualities about us this is the key it's not easy but it's doable. And once you and I decide to do it, your life will change. It will come on track and the influence and the beauty of, what, of who you're supposed to be will shine through. This is it. Father God, we love you. You have given us such riches. But you're raising children not slaves, not pets. You're raising us to be sons and daughters who walk with you and think like you and are growing up to become like our beloved eldest brother. Would you teach us, everyone, just show each of us how do we build into our lives those disciplines that we might walk in the Spirit, and put to death the deeds of the flesh. That the fruit, not the deeds, would be what mark our lives. We love you, Jesus. You've made such wonderful things possible for us. Take us by the hand and guide us now. We ask in Jesus' precious name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.